Hey guys, I'm Nick here with Tanner and Zach, and thanks for tuning into the Voyager Way, a podcast dedicated to sharing our passion for everything outdoors with listeners just like you. Whether it's talking about incredible trips we've been on, teaching you the best way to get your own adventure started, or talking with amazing guests about the incredible things they've done or places they've been. You can find it all here on the Voyager Way. All right, what's good, everybody? Uh, back with the Voyager Way podcast. This is episode number four with Nick, Zach, and Tanner. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the far north trips that the Lay Voyagers program offers, and that Zach and Tanner went on many trips. Uh, Tanner went on, you went on two trips, right? Yep. Two far north trips, and then Zach. I was just listening to our other podcast. You went on one far north trip, and then you guided quite a bit more, or three, four. I guided one other far north trip. So, you so I've been on two. Yeah. Two total. Okay, yeah. Um, so I think kind of some value that you guys will get from this from this podcast is it gives you a pretty good perspective of kind of how Tanner and Zach went from being, I would say, like beginners with camping and whitewater to going on trips that like a lot of people would consider pretty high level with like the whitewater and the camping and that kind of stuff. Um, so give you super good perspective with that. And then also a little bit selfishly for me, I'm writing a book about the Lay Voyager program and um, we're kind of talking about the best way to incorporate or to write the chapter of uh, like the far north chapter in the book and whether it was going to be like Tanner and Zach kind of combined effort or um, or I would write it just with like with talking with them. But but then we were worried that I wouldn't have a, as good of a like knowledge of the far north program since i never went on the trip but then if they wrote it they could just be a different writing style so this is kind of the best of both worlds we can talk about this on a podcast and then i can use this podcast to kind of help write the last chapter of that book so it'll be a good um good for that as well so um i guess my first my first question i had for you guys is knowing that these trips are like take up a lot of your summer and I would assume that like a far north trip might take up a little bit more since there, yet there's a lot of prep or, or maybe, or is there less because you, it doesn't take as long cause you already know what you're doing or kind of, how does that work? I would say it, it takes more. I mean, you're planning kind of depends on what trip you're doing too, because, um, most of them are, I would say are longer than the traditional like month long trips. Yep. Um, so you're planning for another like 15 days worth of food that you have to dehydrate and kind of plan for. You're also, as a participant, taking a bit more like leadership in it. So you're doing things like reserving the flights for the planes and like talking to the people where you're going to be leaving your vehicle and just kind of doing the background logistics that you wouldn't otherwise be doing. And the so, participants are doing that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So they, they get a kind of added leadership role into that. Yeah. I was just going to say it's a little bit different. I don't know about more or less, but like like Zach said, you have more of a leadership role. So you're just learning different stuff um, and not focusing on the basics, you know, like as the beginners do. Um, or and then you, also you do have to relearn that stuff. It's like, it takes yeah, one it, or two exactly. Times. Yeah. It's a lot quicker. And then also like learning more advanced skills, like especially with the whitewater. Okay, cool. So, so knowing that it's probably going to take up a little bit more of your summer, like what, I guess what drew you guys to want to do a far North trip, knowing that it's going to take up like, obviously like summers in high school are pretty coveted, right? Like you're, you can hang out with your friends. You're not going to school and that kind of stuff. And some people will have jobs, but for the most part, you're just kind of just there to have a good time. So what, what kind of made you want to take more time out of your summers to do another trip that is going to be like more responsibility and kind of take up more of your time? Um, honestly, just the experience. Like I, I had such a good time on the first year trip. 
Um, so just the experience of going on another one of those trips and then also getting to do more of a whitewater. Um, so like kind of more of a fun, a little bit more dangerous trip kind of drew me into that. And then also I think just, yeah, the summers are coveted, like you said, but I mean, even after the first one and after like your other friends go on these trips and stuff like different years, they get back and they're like, what did I miss? And a lot of times it's like, Oh, you didn't really it's miss anything. Yeah, think, it's a lot yeah. less than you would think. So it, and then you build so many memories up there. So I think it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I know. For, I remember my first time doing it, it. I was pretty torn between the decision because it was after my senior year of high school, and so I, I kind of had to decide with. At the time, I was thinking about going to play hockey. Oh, that's right. After school for a while. Yep. Um, and if I did that, I wouldn't have been able to do the trip. But if I would do the trip, I wouldn't have been able to do the hockey pass. So I kind of had to make like more of a long-term decision with it. Um, and so ultimately I, my thought process was, this is a very, like a once in a lifetime thing. Like I don't know if I'll ever be able to do this kind of thing again. Like not many people can say they've paddled to the Arctic ocean or done a 45 day canoe trip, those kinds of things. And so it was really just a once in a lifetime thing for me to do. And, um, I wanted to make sure that I capitalized on that opportunity. Um, and I figured I could always keep playing hockey when I got back. So, um, so yeah, so I decided to do that kind of took a leap with that. And yeah, like Tanner was saying, it was the best experience that I've ever had. It was my, my favorite trip by far. Your first, Uh, your first far north trip. I mean, both of them were, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think each one gets better and better as you do them. But yeah, like Tanner said, like, I think people don't realize you don't miss as much as you think when you're gone. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to compare trips because each one's so unique and like different. Like sometimes like you might be able to shoot more white water and the weather might've been better on, on a different one, but it's hard to say like that one trip was better than another. Like, cause you have, you get memories from every single one and you like, you don't regret going on any of them. So. Yeah. And I know like, at least for me, like if I wouldn't have done that, I know I would have been here like, fishing or like doing yeah. other things that are very similar yeah. so like I, it made no sense for me to not do it kind yeah of thing. so so i guess kind of diving a little bit deeper into how how these far north trips really are different than the first year trips because even though you're only like well sometimes you can go like the next summer you can, you can do a far north trip is that what you did tanner or did you yep so it was your junior yeah junior i went summer yep i went sophomore after sophomore uh, year was the first trip and then after junior year was the first far north trip. Oh yeah, so so I guess what like, what are the biggest differences between? I, I know we already touched on they're they're usually a little bit, little bit longer. The preparation's usually like a little bit more involved, and you have more responsibility with that. I guess how is like the dynamic change with the with your crew compared to like the first year? So I would say the first year trip is, um, I don't know, it's just more of like an experience and like more of like a teacher student role between the guides and the crew i would say like they've already been on this trip and some guides have already been on like a couple far north trips before they're guiding this trip so they have so much experience and for someone like me and a lot of the participants like your first trip is like you're pretty new to the whole scenario so they're yeah. kind of like gods honestly it's like they can paddle so well they can port it so easy um all that stuff but the far north trip it's more of like they're your peer 
and they're just kind of there if anything goes wrong, like to guide you. They do have more, a little bit more knowledge, but it's more of like a, everyone wants to be here. We all know we want to be here. So like, let's just have some fun and shoot some white water, honestly. Yeah, yeah. You know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and those crews also typically tend to be a bit smaller too. So like a first year crew will usually be somewhere between eight, nine, or ten people, um, mainly nine. But like a far north crew, those are more around like six or eight. I would say it would be more of like a regular number. And so um, you have the even numbers. Obviously, for whitewater purposes, you wouldn't want to have somebody in the middle while you're going over big white water or anything like that. So in you have middle, in the middle of the canoe. What? In the middle of the canoe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, having the smaller numbers, I think, like Tanner said, also helps with the fact that you get a lot closer. Um, and you're also paddling with just like one person each day. Like you rotate around typically, but you get to know those people so well because you're only talking to like one person uh, unless your canoes are really Yeah. Close. Yeah. My first far north trip we had, it was a crew of six of us. Okay. So a lot smaller, like Zach said. So you know them a little bit better and you're definitely more efficient. Yeah. And, I guess speaking of the whitewater stuff, do you do a lot more tra- pre-train, like pre-whitewater training here before you get up there? Or I mean, I know it's like we're kind of limited, even though we're like we're up north and there's a lot of rivers and like kind of stuff around us. There's nothing like probably that compares to the stuff you're shooting up there. So do you do a lot more like whitewater prep, or how does that work? Yeah, so I think you 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 want to start really from the basics. Like on your first year trip the basics are how to tie knots, how to like hold the paddle properly, how to do the strokes properly. Now you know all the strokes and you know how to do everything kind of. It's now adding maybe a few more strokes um, and then doing more of like uh, a talk through about how water moves and like the river features and how to scout rapids and knowing what's dangerous, what's good um, and how to navigate different scenarios of whitewater. So um, using the rivers here, they're, they're much smaller, but they're good, um, beginner whitewater to practice on. So you can really do, um, hard skills on small water basically, because yeah. the consequences are much smaller and obviously you'd much rather take a spill here rather than up in the Arctic or anything like that. So you really get to kind of, like I said, use the hard skills on smaller water and, get to know the river features, how the water moves. I know a lot of crews will go up north into northern Minnesota where there's a little bit more um, steeper rivers with some bigger white water and the waves and rapids are a bit bigger. So they'll usually take like a weekend trip to go up and do some paddling on that to kind of, they'll usually practice here and then move up to somewhere up there to do something even a bit bigger. Yep. And then when you go up north, it gets even a bit bigger than that. But yeah, and um, should we touch on like how far north you guys are going on these trips? Like how, what, what areas are usually, are you in? So for, for my first far north trip, we actually started in Lake Superior and then made our way up just south of Hudson Bay, pretty much just to Hudson Bay. So it wasn't necessarily far north, I guess you could say, but the difference was definitely we were on a river most of the time, so like it was a lot more whitewater. Okay, cool. Whereas the Coppermine trip, which is another popular far north, the second one I went on and the one Zach went on and guided, that you actually start around Yellowknife um, by Great Slave Lake, which is a pretty popular lake up in Canada. Okay. Um, a lot of those like documentaries are on that lake, um, Animal Planet stuff. That's where you start is Great Slave Lake? Yep. yep, yep. And then you end up uh, in none of it on the Arctic Ocean up in Kugluktuk. Dang. Which is, do you, do you know how many kilometers it is, Zach? 
That's like far up there, isn't it? It's hundreds of miles. Okay. Really? Um, that's how much you travel yeah. in that? Jeez Louise. So that, yeah, so yeah that I would hit. say that like generally the trips go either Arctic Ocean or Hudson Bay. Okay. Uh, I mean, those are the main watersheds of Canada anyways. And yep. so the trips are hundreds of miles long. And so, um, and, and I think you just get the satisfaction of ending on like a big body of water, which yep. is always a great mm-hmm. feeling oh, yeah. of accomplishment. Um, but yeah, we've, we've done probably close to like a dozen different routes. Um, some of them are repeated, um, year after year, but, um, some of them have been done just a couple times and then they've kind of been, um, moved aside and people have done other routes, but yeah, that's the other cool thing is like people can just kind of pick their route. It's like kind of open for the taking, yeah. um, whatever the participants want to do. Um, cause yeah, it, the tundra and Northern Canada is just super unexplored still. And there's a lot of cool routes to do. And these are, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is you have to like going over the height of land point is which is is that's is that pretty far up north and that's where like the water stops running north to south and it starts kind of running south to north towards the arctic so if you think of uh, a height of land if you think of like a mountain if the rain fell like it was raining on the very tip of the mountain half of it would flow one way the other half would flow the other direction yeah so uh, it's basically just like some type of hills or mountains that separate the watersheds okay and so we're basically going from like the great, like for the copper mine trip, for example, you're basically going over the height of lands that separates the um, Great Slave and Mackenzie River watershed from okay. the Arctic Ocean watershed. So you, are you paddling upstream for a little bit of that then? How's that? Yeah, the first half is upstream and then you do the height of lands for several days and then you finish going downstream. Okay. And the upstream is like, I would say almost underrated like bad really <laughs> like it was tough i don't know about you but like it's just so weird paddling upstream because you think you should be going so much faster and you're just really not it just takes so much more effort but it's definitely worth it to get over the height of lands and then start going downstream now, are you guys in the same canoes that you use for the first year trips or what kind of canoes are you using so we use uh they're called pack boats they're kind of a newer style canoe uh, if you think of like how you roll up a tent that's exactly kind of what these pack boats are is you like unroll them and they have this harder shell for them that's kind of like a mix between i'm not exactly sure what the material is it's like a the bottom is like a flexible rubber kind of material and then the outer um sides of the canoe are like a a tough fabric okay like canvas almost it's not canvas it's like kind of like if you think of like a really sturdy dry bag Okay. Yeah. Like kind of like that material. Yeah. I don't know what the material is called. Okay. But then you have all of these poles that are folded like a tent pole would be. Yep. And you basically put them in and that creates the shape of the canoe. It takes a, a, a decent amount of time to get them into place. Um, but Are they pretty sturdy once you get them into place? Yeah, they. Yeah. I would say they are. I, the thing that I like about them is they they're flexible with the like water. So if you're going over a wave, they'll actually like kind of bend with the wave. And I, I I personally like the feel of it. Whereas like, you don't like punch through it. You kind of ride the wave, which I like. Um, but it opens up like a lot more opportunity for getting places because you don't have to pay loads of money to buy a canoe and then have to leave it somewhere or, um, uh, fly the canoe back at the very end of it. So, so that helps a lot. Um, 
Yeah, what did you think about those, Tanner? Um, I like them, and they're definitely a lot easier to portage, too, because they're a little bit lighter. They get taken with the wind a little bit, which kind of stinks. Yeah, it's definitely a... Uh, uh, love-hate relationship <laughs> yeah. in the tundra. Like the heart, the height of lands I remember is just you're walking in the open tundra and it was such a windy day for ours. So, you, I mean, there's no cover. And if you're, if, if it's a side wind, I mean, it's just taking your canoe and it's so hard to stay walking straight. But no, they're so huge for just the um, transportation side of things, being able to pack those up with you and um, bring them on the plane and bring them in the trailer when you get up there. It, it's it's definitely a good thing to have. No, come over here. Yeah, I know one thing that uh, that's tough with the far north trips is you you don't have access to re resupplying your food, and you don't want to pay thousands of dollars just for a plane to come in halfway to drop off some extra food. So you pack it all. Yep. But the consequence to that is like if you look at those pack boats, they're um, like I said, more flexible. And so you have all the weight from your packs in the middle. So it almost is like the middle will be lower than the bow and stern. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Okay. So you have to be mindful. Like you feel like you're out of the water, like a good ways, but the gunnels that are in the middle where the packs are, will be maybe a couple inches away from the water line. Okay. So like as weight, as you're going through waves, like you might be fine, but the middle part might be getting water in the middle. So they're just kind of different in ways like that. You just have to be a little bit more careful. Um, Do you have skirts over them when you're going through the whitewater? Yeah, the spray skirts. Yeah, um, yeah they help for sure. And you so need those, those are just, just fabric that you put on over like the open end of the canoe so that water doesn't get, get in, right? Yeah, the ones that we use are like two pieces. And they're, you have like ties on like the side of the canoe. So that like straps them down basically. Okay. Um, but then it's broken up by like a Velcro seam. So you could, um, like if you needed to get to the packs to portage, you could portage with the spray skirt on still. Oh, nice. You just open up that seam and then roll them up. And then you could take out packs and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and since you have so much food, you're usually double or maybe triple portaging. And so like you, some of those trips are set up where it's so hard at the beginning, but then the reward at the end is so great because you're going upstream double triple portaging while you have all this food still the packs are heavy yeah <laughs> and then yeah you're going up the stream so you're kind of figuring out like the paths of least resistance going up the current um and then yeah going through these height of land portages that are several miles long and the portages are several several miles long yeah Jeez, it's please. pretty much just like two full days of just portaging and you're going obviously you're going like up the height of lands yeah so, so it's uphill. like yeah it's uphill the whole Jeez, way please. Yeah, actually, so I was at Peter's kind of going away party yesterday or two days ago, and he was telling me about um, when he was on Far North, when he was a guide, they had, so we were talking about like just some of the different gear you have to bring, and one piece of gear that you don't bring on a first-year trip that you bring on a, on a Far North trip is a rifle for some of the bears, just just as an extra precaution, um, and none of the crews have, any, have ever had any like crazy problem with the bear, but you bring it just, just to be safe. But Peter said when he was on it, when he was on a trip and he was guiding, he was just portaging and he had the rifle over his, his shoulders and he sees this like brown thing just kind of, cause it's the tundra. So there's not like trees and stuff. So you can kind of see for a while. And so he was portaging. He sees this brown thing. Is that not right? Not, you don't start in the tundra. No, I, I know, but he was in the tundra like for like on his trip. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So God they're portaging and they were in the tundra and he sees this brown thing. He's like, oh, cool. Like a moose or a caribou or something. I think mean, he said caribou and then it picked its head up and it was like grizzly bear. 
He's like, oh no. So then it stood up and these things are big. I've never seen one in person, but obviously it's a grizzly bear. So it's big. <laughs> so he, it stands up and looks at it and checks them out. And so then like it, and then it ends up like running at them. A bluff and, charge. Yeah. A buff charge. Bluff. Oh, bluff charge. charge. Oh, so you know, you probably know more, more about this than I do, but yeah, so it ran at him. And then, like, he was trying to get the gun, like, loaded and whatever. And then he had, like, pointed at him. But then it just, like, stopped, which I'm assuming where the bluff comes in. Stopped, checked him out. And then at that point, like, some of his, like, crew members had, like, come. So he, like, the bear could see there was more than just two of them or whatever. But then then it ran away. And he he was just, like, Peter's, like, yep. Like, you guys just keep going. And I guess it crossed the river because they're porging around, like, some fast water that they couldn't paddle through. So the bear crossed the river and it just kept watching him, but walking away until Peter stood there with the gun, just like watching it go. But, um, yeah. So I guess, did you guys have any, do you get, how many, how many bears did you see or anything like that? How's the wildlife different way up there than it is like on a first year trip? Um, we saw, huh? I want to see, we for sure saw one bear. I think that was the only bear we saw, but it was on a portage. Black or grizzly? It was a black bear. So it, it was early on in the trip. So we weren't quite in the Arctic yet. Um, a little down south where I feel like black bears are more common. Um, and it was on a portage and I, I didn't see it cause we were kind of spread out, but Reagan, one of the guys in our crew, he was just walking down the trail and he said he just looked up and stopped and there was just a black bear, like 20 yards from him, just standing in the trail, <laughs> just kind of like looked at him, didn't really have any worries. And Reagan said he wasn't really scared. He just kind of stood there and then eventually it just started walking away and then started running away like parallel to the trail and so like three or four guys that were up further just saw this bear sprinting alongside <laughs> them um but then we saw some caribou up there that you don't usually see on the first year trips um we saw some arctic wolves and then we actually saw a wolverine on one of our ending campsites really? and that was crazy that I, I mean i've heard a lot about them and you hear they're so like vicious and scary but they those things are just like pieces of muscle and they're just mean like everything you hear about them is so true really like we we were bathing and it was just on this like steep cliffside um and it just got like lower and lower and lower but we were probably about 15 feet up i want to say and i swear like two guys had just gotten out of the water like they were drying off with their towels and this wolverine comes swimming up to the side of the cliff and reagan's like oh it's a baby wolf and you like kind of like bends over to try to like touch it and the thing just growls at him oh, like that it was that close it, it was i mean he was probably like i said he's probably like 10 15 feet above it but he's kind of like bending over and he's just like oh shit just growled as a wolverine <laughs> so he like grabbed a rock and chucked it at it and it like started swimming over to the other side and once it got on the bank of the other shore it like it was a like pretty steep like hill on the other shore and it cruised up that thing. Like just it was up gone. It. it cooked up there. Like nothing. <laughs> like if it would have came up on our side, it would have just diced through us. Easy. Really? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, how big are they? Like, I mean, they're not they're like a badger size, right? Yeah, like a badger. So what is that? Like they're not huge. So like, but they're just they're just like their claws are huge, and the, like I said, they're so muscular. Like they can just well, those move. things fight off like bears and stuff. Don't yeah. they? They kind of mess with. Uh-huh. Like they're not really afraid of anything. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys see any muskox on your? Trip? Oh yeah, we, oh yeah, we saw some muskox. <laughs> we got pretty close to some muskox <laughs> actually. I think Austin was, or no, Austin was coming up from the water. Our guide, Austin, um, and then somebody was just brushing their teeth, and he just like he was just like it's super quiet, and he's like, like 
don't move, like don't turn around. And they're just like, what? And he's just like, just slowly like turn around, like look behind you. And then look, there's a muskox, I swear, like 15 feet behind this. And there, is that the one with like the big bony? Like, it's like front? a water buffalo. Kind yeah, yeah, of yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, they're so funny to watch. I mean, I don't think they're that dangerous. He didn't come after us or anything. But he just kind of like ran away. And they're so funny to watch run away. Like you can tell they're not very smart because it was running like parallel to us. So like it wasn't getting any farther away. It thought it was running away. It thought it was running away, but it was running like to the side. And it just, they're so slow too because their legs are so short and their bodies are just so big that it would run like 50 yards, like stop and be panting and then like (laughs) run 50 more yards. Zach, did you have any crazy animal stories up there did you get to see like quite a bit up there or yeah we saw all of those um yes yeah, i wolverine we didn't see a wolverine <laughs> no um no we had a really close bear encounter um a black bear okay we were we pulled over for lunch and we are still this was probably like day two or three so the the way our trip progressed was you start in the forest the boreal forest then you kind of progressively go into the tundra Okay. And then finish in the tundra. Yep. So we were still in kind of a forested area. And it was a recent burn area. So the trees were very, um, the young. forest was really dense yep, still. Yep. Um, and so we had pulled over and we were kind of like right on the edge of this cliff. And we'd pulled over and I had gotten out to go up to kind of look at the top uh, of this little cliff. So I was maybe 20 yards from our canoes. And I turn around and I look back down by some of the people that were still by the boats. And they were quickly pulling out our gun that way. We had brought in, um, uh, a shotgun as well as bear spray. Okay. So we had both if yeah. we needed them. Um, and they were pulling it out super quick. And so I was asking one of them, like, what's going on? And they're like, there's a bear right there. <laughs> and I was like, and so I, I, at this point I was down like where they were. Yep. And I was like, I was like looking cause it was super dense. So I couldn't see. And I was like, where he's like, it's like right there. Yeah. And like literally eight feet away from us. It's like head oh was like gosh. right inside the trees. Yep. There was like a little hole and its head was right there. Just peeking no out. Way. Biggest bear I've ever seen in my really? life. It was like, those black bears get decently big, like the males at least. They're definitely smaller, Okay, but as far as black bears, like I've never been like really afraid of them or anything. Yeah. This one was big. really bigger. Yeah. It was really big. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, luckily it just turned around and kind of scaled up this hill and it just kind of walked away and we just took precautions while we were eating lunch just to make sure yeah. it didn't come back. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the, the scariest thing. And well, I guess when we were on that same trip, this was towards the end when we were in the tundra, I went for a walk one evening, um, just kind of back behind, um, where our campsite was by myself and it had just rained and the rain had kind of stopped and the sun came out. So I went for a little walk yep. and I was walking up on top of this esker, which is basically like, um, sand and gravel that's deposited from glaciers as they recede. So it's basically like a big sand hill. Okay. Um, and it was overlooking this really cool little valley. And so I was walking on that and I noticed that there were some tracks up in front of me. So I went and looked at them. Massive grizzly tracks. <laughs> really? And it had just rained. Yeah. Oh, so you geez. know that it was like right it's there. Uh, it's, it can smell you probably. <laughs> and so, but it was walking like the same direction as I was. Okay. But then it kind of like veered off of the sand. So I couldn't really tell where it was going. Yeah. And that was kind of where I found the tracks. And so I had to like stop and I was like looking everywhere. <laughs> I had the bear spray with me, but I was just waiting to like look somewhere around me you and just have, have it right there. No, not yeah. at all. Jeez. Um, but yeah, I never saw it, which was 
very thankful for. Yeah. So. so how how is is the fishing any different up there? I know Tam, we've talked a little bit about one of the like some a cool fishing story that you guys had. But was that towards the end of your trip or at the beginning? Um, that was towards the end of our trip. Are you talking about the char? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was at like the very end of our trip, like up at its bloody falls. It's probably it's just like a morning paddle away from Kugluktuk, um, the native city up there. But day two, I remember during lunch, we stopped at this place, um, just right underneath the rapids. So like Zach was saying, that's in the forest. Like we weren't yet in the Arctic, um, tundra terrain, but we stopped at a spot and like, we go fishing to Canada, like every year, you know, like for a week, at least like we do some decent fishing and that's more of like similar to what that was like Northern stuff and like walleye. So that's what like those lakes kind of down there are like, um, when you start the trip. But this spot was the best northern spot I have ever fished in my life. Really? Like, we were probably there for, like, 30 to 45 minutes. And every cast, just, like, you, we were standing right by the rapids. So we just toss it into, uh, into the bottom. And every cast was, like, the minimum size northern was, like, 28 inches. Like, t- maybe. Which, that's, like, big. I want to say, like, 25, but that seems a little small. Like, it was every northern was, like, up towards 30 inches, which yeah. is, like, usually, like, a pretty decent size one. And I caught uh, I caught one that was, like, around 40, and, like, Reagan caught one. Like, we just caught huge just northern. Giant, yeah. And, like, that was 30 to 45 minutes. So, you have to imagine if, like, you actually fish around that area that you'd be catching some real big monsters. Jeez yeah. Louise. So, what would you say for people who don't go fishing often but they do like a river trip and they're near rapids like what would be the strategy for catching fish at a rapids if you're camping right beside one how what would you suggest for maybe like one lure to you maybe two lures that you'd use and then where would you cast so i would say um like just a jig tail right so like just a mr twisty tail and like a jig head those are pretty good because they're just easy, right? Like you can buy a bunch of those for cheap. And if you lose them, you don't really care, especially for a trip like that. Um, and they're pretty good for Northern, a little smaller. Um, but then also I would say just like a spinnerbait, honestly. And we were just casting them like right where the rapids come down, like right at the mouth of that, just kind of cast them in there in the, in, in the eddies almost. So, I mean, do we need to explain what an eddy is? Just real quick, an eddy is where... The water recirculates back. So let's say there's a rock in the middle of a river, right? So the wa- the rock's going to displace the water that's going downstream. So then, but it has to fill, the water has to fill back in that space behind the rock. So then, and you can use these like when you're whitewater, when you're going on whitewater, you can sit almost right behind a rock and like just and not move because when the water passes the rock, it recirculates back up towards the rock and that's called an eddy. So it's just, you know, what happens is these fish will sit right there because they don't have to work because you could sit there without with pretty minimal work so the fish don't really have to move too much and they can just pick off fish that are kind of floating down the river um so next time you like next time you're near some fast water um, or anything moving just kind of see if there's anything in the way and then the water will if there's any object in the river it'll displace the water and then the water will come back and recirculate right behind it and that's called an eddy so yeah. that's where the fish like to hang out. yeah so any eddy like on the side of the river like those eddies are good or like you said like a big rock or something in there like they just like sitting in there and i mean we were casting all over and it didn't matter we were catching yeah. everything okay. but cool. there was a since we're on the topic of eddies the <laughs> best eddy i've ever fished in my entire life um was on one of the arctic rivers and I had brought my fly rod up 
to fly fish for because we knew the char were there. So our Arctic char is basically a type of salmon. Okay. Um, and they will come from the ocean and swim up the rivers to go spawn. And so it's amazing to see what they have to swim up to get to these rivers. Yeah. But basically there's this spot that we found where there is a smaller creek that flows into the larger river. And where they meet, there's like, there's an eddy from both rivers. So it's kind of a unique place. Oh, okay. Um, and right in that eddy, it's like a, a deep hole. And so literally all of these char sit right in that hole. Yeah. And so you can, um, the, the creek is probably the best place that you'd throw the fly into. And then it basically like it's sinking as it's using the current and it just drops perfectly into right, that little sitting. hole. Yeah, yeah. And like every single cast, you catch one of those char and they're like, if you think of a salmon fly that you get from the store, that's what they are. Yeah, they're big. And yeah, we, we caught, we had so many on, a lot of them broke the line because they're just big really? muscular fish at that point. Yep. A lot of them were in like that cool, like changing colors phase. So okay. they were like red yeah, yeah. Um, and pink. Um, I almost lost like all my line with my fly rod. They'd like swim <laughs> out to the middle and I was running out of line and they'd jump in the air. It was yep. super cool. Um, but yeah, we'd just have those big fillets and that was what we had for. Oh, you like cleaned and cooked them. Yeah. yeah. Best fish ever. Really? Yeah, oh gosh. It was super good. Did you and, bring like breading with or how'd you, you just kind of cook more of the fire? Yeah. Room? I mean, smoking them would have been ideal. Yeah. We didn't want to attract bears <laughs> that and um we didn't want to kind of like makeshift our own smoke or anything so we just decided to bread them and then cook them and it tasted great yeah i'm sure um that place was also great too because there was like that part of it but then anywhere else around that creek in the river there was all sorts of grayling and grayling are like uh i don't know what kind of fish you'd classify them as they're kind of funky looking because they have a huge dorsal fin yep but they're um, surface feeders so you'll just see them kind of like come up to the surface and just like suck a little bug off the top of the water <laughs> so it's really cool because you can just be sitting taking a water break and all of a sudden you'll see all these little like slurps from yeah, yeah. the grayling and so that's and with the fly it's perfect the fly rod because the flies you can use dry flies that just sit on top of the water oh nice so you just toss it out there and your lure would just be sitting on top of the water and then you just see them come up and just Snag grab it. it it was yeah. super fun so so talking about some of like the water and like just fast water that they have to swim up like when they're spawning and doing that kind of stuff what what uh what it's just insane like, yeah i know we, the same like bloody falls like what i was talking about it's it's like literally a waterfall and they, they get up it. Yeah, they get up it yeah. it's actually crazy so so going off of that what was what was the most fun or what was the best rapid set that you guys got to shoot up there? Is is there like one that sticks out or is um, like the whole, is it kind of yeah, tough? There's one that sticks out. Um, so, well, I guess the first one we went on. So like once you get on the Coppermine River, that's when like you get to start shooting the whitewater. And it's what, like, like with 14 days left of the trip, like the last two weeks. Yeah. You much. Can, and like you lay over a little bit, but. Yeah, it progresses nicely. There's a the parent river that yeah. comes before that, and there's like class one or two on it. Yeah. So you kind of get to rework your skills before you get into the big stuff. So it's yeah. kind of a nice progression. Um, class one and two up to four, the, right? Uh, I mean, what's the highest the waterfall? Class? Yeah. Five, I think, okay. is the highest. So I mean, you would never shoot. No, no. Falls. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, so like that at the beginning, there's a little more like. There's the whole range on that river. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So, so, yeah. So what I was saying, so once you get on the copper mine, then it like starts to ramp up. And I remember 
it was like this day it was just like a really cold day like n- like no one wanted to be there type of day like you're just like it's just freezing it's like kind of drizzling rain a little bit and you're just like okay like let's just get to camp or whatever first day on the Coppermine river when we get to this first rapid set um we go to scout it and all of our like jaws were just dropped like we had never seen water move that fast horizontally like no. it, it was actually <laughs> crazy like it is full like it looks like it's dropping off a straight cliff but like just going horizontally yeah that's the other thing about like the arctic and the tundra is you can see so far so if you're in like a straighter stretch of the river, you'll literally be paddling forward, looking ahead, and it looks like there's going to be a waterfall coming up, but you can just see so far ahead that it just like disappears. Yeah. So the water, like, yeah, it just looks like there's going to be a waterfall, but the water's just disappearing because you can literally see the gradient of the water going down. That's nuts. But, um, so that like any one of those rapid sets, like I think there was three on that first day and like those are super fun. They're just huge excuse me um just massive waves and just like it was fun getting into it but for me definitely like you said if there's one stuck out um there's this stretch called the canyon stretch and it's towards the end of the Coppermine river um and it's usually just like a you plan for a day um and so once you get into white water you get on your knees right on the canoe it's like normal paddling you're sitting on the seat um but once you get into the faster water you get to your knees you're a little bit better balance um you can stabilize the canoe you can stabilize the canoe better all that so this canyon day is pretty much just a full day of like completely on your knees so which is a good thing yeah which is a great thing yeah (laughs) so you're just like cooking the whole time and like some stuff is just like fast water you're not it's not big like waves rapids but then there's other like actual rapid sets like sandstone is in there and that's just a huge rapid set but the whole day you're just kind of going through, going through, and then you get to like a big sandstone something. And you're like, oh, let's go, and you just like crush through it, and you get pumped, and yeah, then you're like, yeah. you're still going fast after that, but maybe not be another rapids for a little while, and then you get up on some big waves. You're like, let's go, let's go, <laughs> and it was just a beautiful day too. Like not a cloud in the sky, super sunny, so no one was worried about tipping, and like you're not like cold, so that's definitely better. Um, that day was just that was so memorable for me. And you guys are kind of just talking about some of the precautions that Voyagers takes. You guys are wearing helmets when you're shooting this white water, and you're wearing life jackets the whole time, right? And wetsuits. And wetsuits. Oh, yeah, wetsuits wet too. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that. Okay. The water's freezing. Is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're taking like the necessary precautions, and are you? How many? How many of these like big sets are you getting out and scouting first, or how many are you just kind of you can since you can see since it is so flat, can you kind of see where you need to go, or are there a lot of them that you have to get out and scout? You, I mean, you can do a lot of like, if it's not marked on the map, a lot of that you can just kind of do as you're going through it. Okay. Um, you just kind of go a little bit slower through it. Yeah. But if there is like a mark set or something that looks bigger, it's really easy to just pull off. And then there's, the tundra is more mountainous and like hilly than people think. And okay. so it's very easy to just like walk up a little bit and get a higher vantage point and then just jump back in and do it. And Typically, it's like a mama duck, baby duck style where you just kind of follow each other and you yeah. give each other enough space in between so you can correct if one boat's kind of off or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, well, What would you say your favorite rapids is on the Copper Mine? Um, there's a set called Rocky Defile. Yeah, and um, you, I, wow. It's like a... <laughs> you get to shoot it. It's a... Like Tanner was saying, there's a lot of canyons along the river, yep. but this one is like very windy, like S kind of shaped. And so the, and the canyons are 
much closer together so you like really feel like you're in the canyons rather than like that section you see the canyons on the side but they're a little bit further apart okay so it feels a little bit more spaced out but that one feels like you're going through like a little bit more of a claustrophobic kind of yeah which adds to it probably yeah Yeah, and the river is also a little (laughs) bit like smaller at that point so the water is cooking pretty good yeah that little section um there was also another rapid set where I've never seen bigger waves. Um, from the first year I went to the second year I did it, the water had gone up like five or six feet. Oh, really? And so and the, like, higher, the higher it goes up, the faster it usually is? Or just like there the, was just more water, like the volume. Yeah. And so like the waves were just ginormous. And so like, for example, one rapid set where we were able to scout from the shore, from a rock my first year, we had to climb trees to do it basically like the second time I went. Really? Because the water was so high. Yeah. Um, what one was that? The scouting one, that was the first rapid set that you were seeing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the water was so flooded yeah. up the bank that we had to, like, get on some trees a little bit just to get a better vantage point. But there's this one rapid set. It's called Muskox Rapids. Biggest waves I've ever been in. Yeah. And my canoe and they're partner... Usually, they're probably shout like, out Austin Merrick. He, he knows what I'm talking about. There's probably... Like, the waves are probably, like, sometimes higher than your canoe. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, my canoe partner and I, we were going through and... It's not like a technical rapid. It's very straightforward as far as where you shoot it. Yep. But the waves are just so big. And so <laughs> you want to basically be riding the waves up and down. But at the end, the waves, you can't really ride them because they're coming from every direction. Yeah. So there's not like one direction that you go. You kind of have to punch through them in that sense. Um, but we had the spray skirts on and think goodness we did yeah. you could not do a trip like this without spray no skirts. chance yeah, you no. just you just sing every time, oh, you every, just time. Sing every time yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah so we went up one of the waves and went straight down and like i was like almost just like straight above my canoe partner at that point because i was in the back or the stern and he was in the bow yeah and i was almost like straight above him because we were going so far like vertically down because we had riven ridden the wave so high up so you're looking straight down on yeah and so the boat was so long we didn't have enough time and the waves were so close we didn't have enough time for like the boat to kind of ride back up the next wave yep so the boat basically like punched into it and the top of the wave went completely over the canoe oh no (laughs) and so like the whole boat was submerged under this one wave. like that's how big the waves were yeah and there was like wave after wave after wave so it's like you're just trying to like get through this wave without it like sucking you back because the waves. and then by the time you're through that one you're probably hitting another one yeah and so yeah yeah. we finally got through it and got to shore and we took off the spray skirt and there's just like an inch or two the lower or gunnels is where the water is so like that full up to the yeah even with the spray skirts like that much water was still getting in from above and i mean the best way you could describe it is like being in a rodeo riding a bull, yeah. but you're riding the water. It's okay. so fun. That, that sounds amazing. So how many, do you guys tip at all? No? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a funny, it's like a little, it's like a competition, but not. So even with the first year trips, you, you try to have a no tip trip. So like you try to go through the whole, get through the whole trip without tipping over. And that's, that's easier on the first year trips because you're not doing as much white water. Um, so it's more of just like making sure you're being careful and like not doing anything dumb to to flip your canoe over usually when it does happen it's like something that you were just like not paying attention you're just doing something stupid but i feel like with this much white water it's a little more um we had, we had two tips two tips both in white water yeah like you personally or you no crew? not okay. me personally uh, in the crew yeah okay <laughs> so that's not that like two 
two tips in a whole like 40, 45 like day trip. That's not a lot. No. One was a little bit worse than the other where the canoe got a little bit damaged, just like breaching on a rock. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was actually in Muskox Rapids. In okay. the, and that last set of waves that Zach was talking about, that's just because they are just huge waves. And like he said, they're crashing from like every side. It's just like, it's, it's like you're almost just lost in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just tip. So another question I kind of had was, was there any point when you guys were going through these far north trips that you you kind of realized how far you'd come from like the first year trip or how, cause I know Tanner, like you and I talked about the first time we slept in a tent was on our first year trip. Right. And so then like go from never sleeping in a tent before fast forward, like one, one, only a year. And you were doing this kind of stuff. Like, did you ever think about like how, how crazy it was and how, like how passionate and how awesome, like you had it going from just like a year. I mean, you kind of realize it after the, or I guess for me personally, I kind of realized it after the trip almost because like Zach said, so like the training, right. You, you can get on the Mississippi. Um, and we went up to Duluth to, like you said, a little to get some more practice for the rapids. And that helps a lot with the strokes. So you can sit there and back paddle and then you can like ferry across the rapids. Um, you can back ferry across. So you can do all that stuff in those rapids but then once you get up there, like like the parent, like you said, like that that's a little easier. Like that's a class one, two. So you're you're feeling pretty comfortable during that. But then once you get to the copper mine, it just like changes. Like I said, the first rapids is so fast. Yeah. But like once you do that, then you're kind of just learning as you're going without realizing it. Because you have to. Like there's no other way you can, you can't just turn around and like go backwards, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I for me it never really clicked into my mind until after I did it and we like go through all the slideshows and the videos and stuff. It's like, holy cow, like those rapids were huge and we just did them no problem. So kind of after the fact, I think you realize like how much skill you actually gained and the passion you had for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like for me, I, I've always been intrigued by people who have done these like crazy exploration and trips and all that kind of thing. So I feel like when I was younger, I like never would have thought I would ever do something like that. Like yep. it was like one of those far fetched, like fantasy, like dream yeah. kind of thing. Like, like the crazy people do those kind of trips. Like they're, it's not really for something that I would do. Yeah. yeah. And so like when I was given the chance, I guess kind of like Tanner, like I didn't, I wasn't thinking of it in those terms, like at the time, but like afterwards you kind of come to that realization, but it was so cool to have an experience like that. And it's cool that like thinking about it like tanner had slept in a tent for the first time like a year maybe two years before that yeah and he had come so far learning like that progression throughout just the course of time and built that confidence and those skills and so it's cool that it the thing doesn't seem so far-fetched when you think about just like putting one foot in front of the other like Mm -hmm. it's just you got to take that first step to do it yeah and then it kind of builds off of itself and maybe like maybe force yourself into these situations where like you'll obviously be safe, but you're going to be uncomfortable for sure. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like once you get on that plane or bus or a car, whatever you do to drive up there, it's like, you can't turn around. Like you just have to do kind of whatever you need to do to get to the end. The uh, night, the night before the trip, I never can sleep ever. Really? Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. I guess I never, I've never been able to sleep on the bus ride up either. Just for yeah. whatever reason, just cause you know what's, what's going on. But, um, yeah, I guess that, that'll probably wrap it up for us for this episode. I just kind of, I think this is a really good episode to kind of show you guys um, and, and see and like help you realize that 
you can start kind of wherever, like wherever point you're at right now, you can start doing any, any, anything like this. So if, if you think that you'd be passionate about something, you want to pick up another hobby, um, it doesn't hurt just to, just to reach out to some people and try and figure out what, how to do it in the best way. And hopefully we'll be able to provide some of that guidance for you with this channel, um, moving forward. And if you guys have any, we're on, we now we got the whole social media thing all, um, all set up. So Instagram, Facebook, uh, we're going to be getting a TikTok here. I think would be, would be a fun idea. Um, it doesn't get banned. Yeah, exactly. Are we on YouTube yet? YouTube. Yep. Yep. YouTube. So there's a ton of different, just, just search the Voyager way and honestly just reach out to us. If you have any questions or you got, what kind of want us to elaborate on any specific part of the trip, I know we try to keep these episodes a little bit shorter so that you can kind of get them done in like one or two commutes. Um, but and so, cause obviously we could talk about, we could talk about these trips for days. So if there's anything that you, could, you want us to touch on more, or you just want to reach out to us personally, just feel free to DM us and we'll get back to you. Um, definitely as soon as we can. And obviously we've all got stuff going on, but um, we'd love to hear from you guys. And yeah, I think uh, the best way just to reach out on any of those social media platforms uh, at, or just, yeah, at the Voyager way. So we guys hope you have a great rest of your day and God bless. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into the Voyager way podcast. Follow us on social media at the Voyager way for more content from all our outdoor adventures and plenty of how to videos to get you started on some adventures of your own. 